Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. If you're joining us from home, a very special so welcome, welcome to you. We're so glad that you could join us in worship this morning. If you're here live at Belmont, uh, Pastor Brian, Lori, and the children are away getting some rest this weekend, and so we pray for them, and we look forward to them being back soon as well. And as Andrew said, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter, chapter 4 in just a few minutes. It's great to be in worship this morning on a beautiful sunny day in New England, just 48 hours removed from a late April snowstorm, which was, I don't know where that came from, but late April is quite the interesting time here in New England, and especially at the college I teach at, it's a very interesting time. Here's why. The semester is wrapping up. Students are about to submit some of their final projects that they've been working on all semester long. It's these cumulative giant projects that they've been focused on, they've been working on for weeks and weeks supposedly, and then they will turn them in this coming Wednesday, which means for the next couple of days, I'm going to get a series of emails and phone calls asking for extensions. And every one of those calls, every one of those emails basically goes the same way. Professor, I need an extension on this assignment that you assigned 13 weeks ago. And I will respond with, well, tell me why do you need an extension? And they'll respond to me that I'm just so busy right now. And then I'll ask them that question. Why are you so busy right now? What are you doing every day? And sometimes students will say things like, you know, I had to go to the gym I had to work on my resume. I had to attend a sorority meeting that was mandatory. I had to do so many things so I couldn't get to the project that you assigned. And all I'll hear is a lot of had to's, must do's that come out from every one of these students. And ultimately you realize that you really got the must do's in your life confused with the may get to's in your life. And the two somehow converged. I want you to picture a day in your life. What are the things you must do, the things you have to do every day? For some of you, I have to have coffee. I have to make my bed. I have to work. I have to exercise. I have to do certain things. Now ask yourself, how many of those have-tos do you do, and how many of those might-get-tos do you actually end up doing instead? Now multiply that out over a lifetime. What ends up happening? In fact, I was looking up recently, what are the things that the internet says you must do before you die? The must-do list. And when you look at the list, learn another language, run a marathon, get to my ideal weight, or uh, start my own business, all of these must-dos usually are just a list of things I will never get to, is what they turn out to be. Sometimes in life, we confuse the must-dos with the may get to's, and we somehow blend the two together. If we're honest with ourselves right now, and you have some things that you must do in your life, if we're honest, a lot of those things have been replaced by may get to's and might do's in our lives. This morning, we're in the Gospel of Luke and continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, specifically today in Luke chapter 4. Our sermon series is titled The Outsiders, and we'll talk about why that is in just a second. And as we go into the Gospel of Luke, this morning we get to see a day in the life of Jesus, a day in the life of our Lord, our Savior, the day where he goes to work, he does what he's there to do, and you get to see how he balances the must-dos 
with the may get to's in order to fulfill his calling and his purpose in life. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44 is where we'll be this morning. We read there like this. Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus then left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. So she got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Jesus had a must in his life as well. And when you look at a day in the life of Jesus, you get to see how much the must replaces the might get to's, the may do's in his life. As we said, we're here in this sermon series called The Outsiders, where we get to look at Jesus' love and concern for those who are on the outside of the, indoor, of the insiders, the outside people. In fact, when we're here in the Gospel of Luke, you, this could be helpful context and background for us that the Gospel of Luke is one that is specifically written with the outsider in mind. If you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the Gospels that are written about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But each gospel is targeted toward a different audience in subtle ways. The, the gospel of Matthew is a gospel targeted mostly to Jewish believers to prove that Jesus Christ fulfills Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament scripture. The gospel of Mark is written in such a way where you get to see that in light of the context of the kingdom, the empire of Rome, that Jesus Christ is establishing the kingdom of God in a new and profound way. You see that in the gospel of Mark. The gospel of John is a very spiritual gospel for all time to show us who God is, his divinity in Jesus Christ. And there is all of these specific contexts that are allowed in Matthew, Mark, and John. 
And you come to Luke, this gospel written by an outsider. Luke is the only gospel written by a Gentile. Luke, this physician, this doctor who is a companion of Paul, this outsider writes this gospel, and you see it throughout the gospel of Luke, this outsider's perspective. He'll write stories and he'll, he'll retell stories and parables that you only find in the gospel of Luke that are specific about the outsider. You'll see things like the prodigal son. You'll hear about the good Samaritan, these outsiders that are the champions and the main people in these stories. He'll talk about the Pharisee and the tax collector. He'll talk about Zacchaeus, this tax collector that was an outsider that Jesus loved and cared for. He'll talk about Mary, this teenager who would become the mother of Jesus. All of these outsider stories are displayed in the Gospel of Luke because Luke himself understood the love that an outsider receives from Jesus Christ. And then we come to Luke chapter 4, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he's in this town called Capernaum. And we've been here right at the beginning of his ministry watching as Jesus preached in Nazareth, his hometown, and would move up to this town called Capernaum. And Capernaum is this town on the northwest banks of the Sea of Galilee, this town that would become his headquarters, his home base, especially early in his ministry. Pernum would be the town where he would begin preaching in the synagogue regularly, and many of the healings and the miracles that you see in Scripture happen in this town called Capernaum. It's the headquarters of his ministry, especially early on. When we get to Luke 4, verse 31, you start to see what a day in the life of Jesus looks like. It's the Sabbath day, the day where everyone would go into worship and gather in community at the synagogue, and Jesus does that. The morning comes and he goes into the synagogue and he starts teaching the gospel. He starts teaching the good news of God, of how the kingdom of God is here, right there in front of them. And he preaches and he teaches and that leads to a moment where a man stands up in the middle of the synagogue and he's possessed by a demon and Jesus not only casts out the demon but he demonstrates what I'm preaching and teaching in actual life. He shows it that he has power and authority over evil spirits. And then the passage continues. As soon as he's done preaching, he goes to the house of Simon. Simon, who we would later know as Peter. He goes into his house and heals Simon's mother-in-law from a very high fever. If you look at what Jesus is doing in these early parts of his ministry, and here is a photo that you're seeing on your screen right now or looking at if you're here live the town of Capernaum might seem like this giant city to us, but Capernaum was a small town. And what you see in the photo before you is actually the archaeological finds of Capernaum, where the synagogue is the large building that you see on the right side of the screen when you're looking at it. Capernaum's that, uh, synagogue is that large building. And beneath where you're looking is a first century synagogue where Jesus would have preached. But if you just look a couple of steps forward, in fact, just... 30 meters in front of the synagogue, just about 100 feet in front of the synagogue is a more octagonal type of a building there, a structure that would have likely been Peter's house. Simon's house would have been right there. When Jesus goes about his day, you'll notice that he is constantly taking short steps to move the gospel forward. Short steps to make the gospel happen every single day. The gospel moves with Jesus. The message moves with Jesus. And this morning, when you are thinking about the must-dos of your life, the things that you have been called to do, 
every one of us have certain must-dos in our lives, in the ministry that God has called us to. But if we're honest, many of us have made the must-dos might get-tos. Maybe you've been called to teach children, or maybe you've been called to serve families around you, or to love your own neighbor, or love your own friends, or witness to those around you. But what we've often done is turn those must-dos into maybes and might get-tos. Jesus Christ leaves the synagogue and walks 30 meters ahead to the home of Peter. And if you want to take a look at what it looks like today, Capernaum looks kind of like this, where you'll see where the synagogue was, and you'll see a church where Peter's house is right now. Do you see how short that distance is? It's just a couple of feet, a couple of meters he's walking to continue in ministry that he preaches and teaches, but then as soon as he goes to the next place, he's still ministering. He heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law in that moment. Jesus had this motto, this logo, this slogan that he lived with that as I move, the gospel moves with me. I must take the gospel with me wherever I go. And the sad truth of the way we look at the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this life-transforming good news of Jesus is so often that we believe that the gospel is something I keep with me and anyone else who wants access to it has to come to me to get that access. We wait for people to come to us. We set up shop and wait for them to come to us. And there is a part of Jesus' ministry where people came to him to hear the good news or to receive something from him. And here he is in Capernaum, and he goes step by step, every step of the way. He's ministering. He's taking the gospel with him because the gospel is meant to move. It's not meant to stay with us in our homes, in our lives, in the four walls of a church. It's meant to move with us all day, especially when it takes short steps day by day. Every single day, we are surrounded by people in our lives that we just need to take short steps to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Short steps. A quick text message, a quick phone call, a quick hello, a quick conversation, a quick cup of coffee, where we can take short steps to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This good news, this life-changing, life-transforming news, you and I are called to take short steps within our circles, our inner circles, short steps to reach those around us with this good news. Because if you'll notice something about the gospel of Jesus Christ... It transforms people. It changes people forever. In fact, if you're watching right now, if you're sitting here right now, you know this. You are likely a result of the gospel changing your life in some way. And here Jesus is saying, because this gospel changes lives, it sets captives free, it releases prisoners, it releases the guilty and the condemned, it sets us free. You and I are called to take short steps within our close circles to reach people with this good news, this life-transforming, amazing good news. In the synagogue, Jesus starts preaching, and a demon-possessed man starts to manifest himself in their midst, and Jesus, with just a few words, is able to deliver that man from the captivity he faced. As we read that, for some of us, that can seem a little odd and weird, especially when we read it with our Western ears and eyes and we look at it. It doesn't seem to make sense. What does demon possession look like? What would that have been like? It's an odd thing for us sometimes. 
In 2005, I, I had an opportunity to go down to a country in South America to preach and teach for a couple of days. And during the time we were there, and this country that we were in is very well known for its spirit worship and ancestor worship. Uh, there are a lot of curses and hexes that are placed on people. It's a, it's a, it's a culture that's built around this type of a system. And while we were there, uh, the, each, each evening we would have these large outdoor gatherings on these fields where we, we traveled with a musical group and the group would sing and play music and large crowds would gather and then we would preach the gospel right after that. And then after it was all done, the group would come back up and play music and we would go through the crowd to pray for people. And while we were one day traveling through the crowd praying for people, we came across a woman and her young baby. And the woman's holding the son, this little child, and standing there, and you could tell the moment you walked up to her, something was not right. She had this look in her eyes where she was clearly not there, and there was something that wasn't right. And one of the pastors I was with approached her, and immediately upon approaching her, she started to manifest a demonic spirit right in front of us. And I can't even describe it fully, except that she became very violent with her body movements, she started speaking in a man's voice, and she started telling us to go away from her. And it was during this interaction that I first got to witness what this looks like and what it sounds like. And in this moment, I got to see right away what type of a strange encounter this is. But at the same time, I also got to see the power of the gospel at work as well. Because in just a few minutes of praying with her, she actually fell to the ground and started thrashing. And she violently threw up on the ground. And in a few seconds after that, she stood up completely in her right state of mind and she walked away giving thanks to God for what God had just done in that moment. She was delivered from demon possession. It was something strange that I'd never seen in my life before. God absolutely does that. That he absolutely can deliver from those moments and from sickness like you see in Simon Peter's house. But so often we can mistake that for the gospel, like that is it. That's the extent of God's power and his goodness, and we mistake that for the message. Here's the message of the good news of Jesus, that he came, God himself came and died for your sins and mine and set us free. When Jesus preaches the good news in the synagogue, a demon rises up to confront Jesus, and Jesus reminds everyone watching, what I'm telling you right now, not only sets your life free, but has power over the enemy and every work of evil. And I will demonstrate that in front of you right now. When you and I take short steps every single day to reach people with the good news of Jesus, we don't just tell the good news, we show the good news as well. There is a component of demonstration of what we do, and that's exactly what Jesus does. He steps into that moment and he demonstrates the gospel. He preaches it. He speaks the words of truth, but then he demonstrates the truth that I not only have authority over words and over scripture, I have authority over everything physically, everything spiritually. I have authority. And so Jesus demonstrates the gospel. When you are taking short steps in your life to reach the people around you, Speak the truth and demonstrate the truth. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're going and casting out demons or healing the sick? Possibly. But that's not the only way Jesus demonstrated the message of the gospel. Jesus went and ate at Zacchaeus' house. Jesus went and took care of people, made sure hungry people were fed. 
Jesus went and made sure that those who were in deep despair and anxiety had their needs met, but also that they knew that they were cared for. Because where the gospel goes in truth, when it is spoken, there is a demonstration of that power that also comes with it. A demonstration of you going and speaking the truth and then demonstrating the truth in your life. There are many of us sitting here right now who are here because someone spoke the truth to us and demonstrated it through their life to us as well. When I was younger, I used to love going to a friend's house to see their toys. And there were days where you would see things and you would say, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe you have this. And then there are days you'd come to school and people would talk about their toys, and that was amazing. But the best days of all were the days where, where we had what was called show and tell, where a kid would bring in their toy to school and talk about it. Remember, they would talk about it and show it. They wouldn't just say it, they would show it too. And for some of us who are listening right now, this is a tough message to, to swallow. Because right now you might be in a home where there's someone in your family who doesn't believe this, who doesn't follow the truth of Jesus Christ. There's a son or a daughter, there's a husband, a wife, there's a parent, there's a sibling, there's a family member, a loved one that doesn't necessarily believe this truth. And I want to encourage all of you this morning who face that, that these short steps that Jesus talks about, these quick trips to the people around us, require us to speak the truth consistently and to demonstrate its power consistently. Day in and day out, I can't give you a simple quick fix to that burden you feel, but I remind you this morning that Jesus spoke the truth and he demonstrated the truth. He spoke it and he lived it, and day in and day out, that's what changed lives. Short steps to the people around us can change lives. But it wasn't just short steps that Jesus took in a day in his life. Jesus also took long strides in his life as well. Think about what he says. He says, I must preach the gospel. I must preach this good news to the other cities, the other towns as well. Jesus, remember, after he heals Simon's, uh, Simon's Peter's mother-in-law, he steps out into the street for a minute, and people start by the dozens, possibly by the hundreds, bringing their sick loved ones for Jesus to heal. And the scripture says he laid his hands on each of them, and he healed them. So all day, Jesus is in ministry as people come to him, but he doesn't stay there. Scripture says that he would remind them as they begged him to stay, we would have our personal healer here in Capernaum stay here. And Jesus says, I must go to the other towns also. In 1922, Howard Carter and some of his colleagues, archaeologists, would dig up King Tut's tomb. And you might remember this from your history classes that it was considered one of the greatest archaeological finds in the last hundred years for sure. Why? Because it was thought that all the tombs were already either found or raided in the Valley of the Kings, and Howard Carter, as he's standing on the debris of another site, would come across a step, and he would think, what's this step? He would sweep it off and go down and find another step and another step before he eventually found a wall, and when they knocked down the wall, they found the perfectly preserved tomb of an 18-year-old King Tut filled with thousands of items from antiquity. It was considered one of the greatest finds in archaeology, and that didn't stop it 
from being seen by millions and millions of people because at the, universe, at the, the Museum of Cairo, all of these antiquities were available to see. But about two years ago, to celebrate as we got closer to the 100-year mark of Howard Carter's find, all over the world, a tour started to showcase the display and to display the findings that were in King Tut's tomb. It traveled all over the world to many, many cities, including Boston. These, these archaeological finds were put on tour and sent all over the world to be found. My question is, why do that? Why send it around the world? Why not have everyone just come to Cairo and see the, the, the remains if you're interested? How come that as soon as they announced the tour, over 250,000 tickets were sold almost immediately? How? Because Jesus understood something that you and I have to understand that these folks who led this tour understand. That yes, people will come here to hear the gospel. People will come to us to hear the gospel. But that doesn't stop us from the long strides that we are called to take to take the gospel outside and show people and tell people about the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived this every day. And this is why he says, I must take the good news to the other towns as well. And so does he. I want you to take a look at a map of Jesus' ministry. That green star that you see is Capernaum. That's the home quarters, the headquarters where he starts. Does Jesus stay in Capernaum? Every star you see there is another town or a region where Jesus in Scripture is known to have preached the good news or ministered in some way. And this is just an example. These are just the ones that are in Scripture. Jesus knew that I can't just sit still and have everyone come to me. I must take the gospel everywhere that I go. The historian Josephus recounts that there were probably about 200 cities around that area with more than 10,000 people in it. Jesus knew I could wait for each one of those people to come to me or I could take the gospel to them. I will make the long strides to take the gospel directly to them. And so he does. Jesus would go to Capernaum and he would deliver the Sermon on the Mount. He would heal Peter's mother-in-law. He would heal paralytics and blind men. He would heal that man with the withered hand. He would lead the disciples to catch a large amount of fish. In Cana, he would go and, and turn water into wine. He would heal a royal official's son. In Galilee, you would see that he would feed 5,000 people. He would heal a blind man, and he would walk on water as well. In Caesarea, the town off to the west there, he would speak with a woman at a well and change much of that region because of it. In Jericho, he would heal a blind man. In Bethany, he would raise Lazarus from the dead. And then he gets down to the south in Jerusalem, and we know what happens. We know that he would go and minister and preach and teach there, and eventually he would be captured, tortured, crucified, and then he would be placed in a tomb that sits empty even to this day. Jesus was on the move with the gospel. The gospel is meant to move. It's meant to travel. And you and I are the ones that are meant to take it, not only into our inner circles and the people around us, but to take long strides and reach the people that are not so easily reached with that gospel. This is how Jesus says it. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. I want to ask you this morning, where have the might get to's in your life become the must do's of your life? 
where have you allowed every day and the stress of each day and work and bills and family and home and everything else that we do to overshadow the must of your life, which is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God? Let's think about it like this. You and I hold something so precious that sets people free. And if I'm honest with myself, so often I wait for people to come to me so that I can open up this thing that sets them free. And Jesus says, no, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. Also, I must take certain information to certain locations for certain transformation. I must go. I must do this. The gospel must move, and you and I are the ones that are called to move it. And so I ask you this morning, this week, how can you move the gospel forward? There are absolutely short steps we can take in our lives right now, but what can you do to move the gospel beyond your inner circle into the places where Jesus says the other towns also to go beyond the people you know into other places as well? Maybe it's partnering with one of our global outreach partners who are in the world doing this right now. Maybe it's you finding a way at your workplace or using your influence or wherever you might be to go and do this. To come across people that you might not come across to every day, but find a way to somehow proclaim the good news. Remember, proclaim means show and tell. It means to tell the good news and to show it in the way that we live out our lives. The gospel must move it has to go beyond our inner circles to those who are outside of those circles. The outsider must hear this, and that's what propelled Jesus. In fact, in Acts 1.8, when Jesus was giving his final instructions to his disciples, he says like this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And he names some places and regions. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was the city where they were in at that moment. Judea was the, town, the region around Jerusalem. Samaria was the region beyond that. And the ends of the earth was everything else. Jesus says, start close. Short steps, start close. But don't stop there. Take it to the other towns as well. Keep going with this message. Keep it moving. I remember every time I grew up with two brothers, every time, and, and anyone who has a household with three boys in it, you would know this. Every single time that we argued, fought, played, did anything, my mother would say the same thing. Take it outside. Take it outside. And this morning, that's the reminder to each of us. Take it outside. Let it go beyond just our inner circles and just our little world. Let it go beyond that and find ways to do it where you can go into every corner of your life and every corner beyond your life to bring the gospel, the good news that sets people free. I'll tell you this, that demon-possessed man was never going to be the same again after an encounter with Jesus. Peter's mother-in-law was not going to be the same after an encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus was not the same after an encounter with Jesus. None of them were. None of us are. Now we need to go and take it outside for many, many more to hear and to learn and to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. When Jesus gives these final instructions to his believers, he says like this, Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I think oftentimes when we read this, we read the go as though that's the imperative, that's the command. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's actually not the way this is written. In fact, it's more appropriate to read it like this. In your going, make disciples of all nations. As you go, make disciples of all nations. The imperative is to make disciples of all nations. So Jesus is telling us that as you go about your day, you must, this is the must of your life, is live out your calling to make disciples of all nations and then go beyond that to all nations and make disciples. You and I get to live in a place where all nations come here. We get to live in a place where students from around the world live and work, where people from around the world come and live and work. Jesus says, go and find ways in your going, in your life, as you go about life, make disciples of all nations. Because this gospel has to get to the other towns also. In the 1970s, a group of pastors and believers in New England got together and they began praying. Praying and reading scripture and praying more. How would we ever spread the gospel and make disciples here in New England? One of the least churched places in the country, one of the least proactive for God places in this country in many ways. How would we do it? And as they prayed and as they spent time in God's presence, it was this verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, that came to their mind. I must proclaim the good news to the other cities also. So that group of pastors and believers, they started an organization called OCAP, Other Cities Also Planned. And in the midst of that process, they started to plant churches throughout New England. And one of those churches was in Lexington. That church would move to Burlington. That church would eventually move and start another campus right here in Belmont. Mount Hope Church started from this verse, that I must preach the good news to other cities also. As you sit here, as you watch right now, you are living out the must proclaim the good news part of this scripture. This is why we are called to take short steps within our own communities to reach the people around us, but we're also called to take long strides to bring the gospel elsewhere. Right now, especially if you're in Belmont, Belmont is a sign of God's goodness in this regard that other cities also need to be reached. And so this morning, as you hear the word of God, take short steps and long strides to show and tell the good news of Jesus. The gospel must move. And if you find yourself right now saying to, my, saying to yourself, I don't do this. Well, here's what Jesus does. Jesus changes lives. He resets lives. And this morning, we have an opportunity to reset how we look at our own lives, a day in my own life. And as we do this, I want to invite our worship team up to lead us in worship as we close this morning. This passage is a reminder that the gospel must move.
It went from Capernaum and the synagogue to Peter's house, to the street outside, to a solitary place where Jesus would pray, and eventually to the other cities also. This is what we're called to do. This is why we exist, to share this good news with others as well, the outsiders as well. And I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And I want you to think about all the might-dos of your life that have become the must-dos of every day. Where have your priorities shifted so much where when you recap a day in your life, you realize, wow, I lived this entire day for myself. Everything I did was for me or for my own kingdom, for my own family, for myself. This morning, there's an opportunity to start to think, God, you put me on this earth. You changed my life with your gospel to take that good news to others and change their lives as well. Where can you start to take some short steps in your life? Short steps that'll change the trajectory of people that are around you right now. Short steps where you can speak the truth and you can demonstrate it. For some of us this morning, it's an opportunity to think about long strides. God, you placed me here with a purpose You placed ministry in my heart. You placed a calling upon my life. But the more and more I think about it, it's become a might do, a maybe I'll get to it type of a thing. This morning, God, I want to reset with you and turn your ministry, your calling into a must do of my life. That every day I won't be focused and circling everything around myself, but I will think about the must do, that I must proclaim the good news to the other towns also. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and God, we acknowledge that in so many ways life takes over, the world takes over and our must-dos become things that help us get through each day. Lord, this morning we pray that our hearts would come back to you in such a way where the must-do is your must-do to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the other cities also. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to take short steps in our lives, to take long strides in our lives, to show and tell the power and the authority with which you spoke and with which you acted. God, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge we've fallen way short in this area. But God, we thank you that we can start over this morning. I pray that this week ahead, you would present to us not only opportunities, but you would give us a proactive spirit to go forward and take the gospel to other cities also. We give you all the glory, all the honor. God, meet us in this time of worship now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to rise to your feet right now. If you are at home, rise to your feet and join us in singing as we worship the Lord together.